0: Hey, Rockheads, it's that time of year again to come up with a good excuse to join me and Richard at NDC London. Fortunately, all you have to do is tell your boss the truth. You want to learn about the latest technology and hobnob with the likes of Scott Hanselman, Lily Dart, Eric Meyer, Scott Allen, John Skeet, Jesse Sternschuss, Troy Hunt, Damian Edwards, and many more. NDC London 2016 is a full-week event with pre-conference workshops on January 11th and 12th and the actual conference on January 13th through the 15th. you got just a few more days to save up to 300 pounds if you register by November 1st, so go to ndc-london.com right now, and we'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1209, with guest Lincoln Atkinson. Recorded Wednesday, October 7th, 2015. Hey, guess what? It's time for .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. It's going to be a good show. Lincoln Atkinson is here and talking about F-Sharp 4.0. And uh, I'm, I'm having a good day. We're. This is the third show we've recorded today. We're about to head off to Dev Intersection and then to the MVP Summit. Lots of cool new changes in the MVP program. Yeah, no, it's a crazy, crazy fall, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And a lot of good stuff came out of Microsoft just recently about the devices. We're looking forward to getting our hands on the Surface Book. Absolutely. I ordered one as soon as they presented them.
1: Like, yep, that's it. One of those, please. So, Why not a Surface Pro 4? Uh, I wanted the higher resolution screen and Mm -hmm. the more horsepower, specifically the GPU. Yeah, which is in the keyboard, right? Uh, Yeah. Well, I don't
0: know. Actually, no, everything's still in the screen because the screen still comes off on the book. I thought the GPU was in the keyboard, and then when you took it off... You you have dropped drop tablet down to the lesser mode, processor. You, you I had not seen a...
1: that. That's if this true, that's amazing. Isn't that
0: cool? Because <laughs> then it incredible. also reduces battery. You know, if you're not going to be gaming or anything doing uh high graphics or anything like that <coughs> on a, <coughs> Kerbal. a tablet. Mm, Kerbal. Yeah, but you're gonna probably use the keyboard with Kerbal, right? Oh, absolutely. I yeah. need to. Flying spaceships takes fingers. <laughs> Fun stuff. All right, well, I got some better No framework for you, so roll the music. Awesome. <laughs> all right dude what do you know well f-sharp people probably already know this but in case you're still dipping your toes in the f-sharp water and you want some more concrete examples to play with check out tinyurl.com slash f-sharp projects this is a a page of links to f-sharp community projects oh neat and there's lots of them, and they're separated by category, compiler and core library, editing tools, uh, literate programming, notebooks and documentation, development tools, functional programming, in which case there's one called Link Optimizer, which is an automatic query optimizer compiler for sequential and parallel link. Link Optimizer compiles declarative link queries into fast loop-based imperative code the compiled code has fewer virtual calls and heap allocations better data locality and speed ups of up to 15 times nice so you know when you have a a language like f sharp you know link is actually less performant than f sharp itself isn't that interesting uh also text programming data access interoperability data science programming Visualization Tools, Math Libraries, Client User Interfaces, GPU Execution. Very cool. GPU Execution. There's three projects there. Mm. Financial Calculations and Data, Web Tools, Scripting and Configuration, Concurrent and Parallel Programming, Distribution Tools, Cloud Tools, Testing Tools, Metaprogramming, Parsing and Compiler Tools, Text Search Tools, Simulation Tools, and audio processing. Yes, there's even F Sound, a sound processing library written in F Sharp. Nice. So in case you were wondering, you know, where all the F Sharp apps are, here's a pile of them. <laughs> that's what. Go knock fine. yourself out. Yeah. So that's Go do t- that stuff. TinyURL.com slash F Sharp Projects. And we'd like to see that list
1: grow. Awesome. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1163, the one we did with one Brian Hunter while we were at NDC. Great show. We, yeah, we talked about lean functional. It wasn't F-sharp specific, but it was definitely thinking about how lean and agile works so well in a functional world. And Neil Danson, who's a name you'll recognize because we've done a show with him as well, commented, I really enjoyed this show. Hearing Brian sum up so effectively why functional programming is a much safer choice for Agile, specifically Lean, was music to my ears. It got me thinking that every time I've seen Agile teams succeed is relatively early in the product life cycle. The code hasn't had much time to rot. Everyone was on the same page in terms of design and architecture, approach to error handling, and so on. You churn out a few good releases and slowly the system starts to rot. Short iterations in OO code bases mean that you don't get enough of those features done and keep your code clean or you crack through a lot of features and those clear, concise ideas start to have hack after hack bolted onto it until you end up crippling your later code in the form of that long tech. And you wind up with a box of hacks. There you go. Add in some team churn and and those sorts of things, and suddenly your greenfield rewrite ends up being a, hey, let's rewrite this again. We know what we did wrong last time, and we won't make the same mistakes this time. (laughs) The team where Agile is, quote, failing is where code has calcified around a series of elaborate hacks that is difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can Agile process your way out of this. I think that with functional program, there are fewer external rules or patterns to memorize and ultimately opt into. The defaults are much more correct. Limited mutability, eliminating nulls, comprehensive pattern matching, and specific F-sharp features like units of measure and agents. And the compiler really does help you eliminate entire classes of problems that allow you to move more quickly for longer I don't think that pure functional programming is a silver bullet and agree that it does bring some of its own issues, such as the tooling isn't mature in languages that I've tried. And it's very easy for clever people to write very clever code in a few lines that no one else can understand. Mm. See Pearl. <laughs> uh, this happens in object orientation too, but the brevity of functional code can definitely hinder readability if left unchecked. Mm-hmm. That's what comments are for. Yeah. When I wrote this code, both I and God know, knew what it meant. Now only God knows. <laughs> Ultimately, I think the sweet spot is to start to take advantage of specific languages for their strengths. There's no reason not to be a polyglot in the major virtual machines these days and be pragmatic in the choices you make where you apply each technology.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Functional the hell out of that thing.
1: <laughs> but, you know, if you've got a bunch of C-sharp guys and you've got a clearly set of defined APIs for them to call through and mocks to for them to stub against, let them write in C-sharp. Functional where functional makes sense. Like, you don't have to pick one language anymore. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what would be really interesting is watching the sustainability of each of those libraries written in different ways based on exactly what Neil was saying, the cruft that happens over time. Uh, so, Neil... Thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at or via any of the social media we post. We put every show up on Google Plus and
0: Facebook. And if you comment on a show there and we read it, we'll send you a mug. You can also tweet us. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Knock yourselves out. Uh, I'm going to turn to our guest now. Lincoln Atkinson recently completed an eight-year tour of duty at Microsoft, where he did testing and development, primarily in F-Sharp, C-Sharp, and PowerShell. He's worked on IT management products, Azure services, and spent the last three years on the Visual F-Sharp team contributing to the F-Sharp Compiler and Visual Studio IDE tools. His next gig will be at Sumo Logic in Redwood City, California, doing machine data analytics with Scala. Lincoln has a bachelor's and a master's in applied mathematics, but so far applies them only to Project Euler problems. He likes writing clean, elegant code, learning new things, and teaching others. Welcome, Lincoln. Welcome to .NET Rocks.
2: Hey, guys. I'm happy to be here.
0: Happy to have you. It's uh, F-Sharp is one of those things that Richard and I, every time we talk about it, just seems so ridiculously cool and amazing. <laughs> and then, you know, every time we see F-Sharp code, our C-Sharp brains go, Ugh.
2: Yeah, it takes takes a little while to get used to. But, uh, you know, it's still in that phase where people think, oh my gosh, this is so cool and fresh. It would, it would be great if it I'd love it if it became kind of an ordinary everyday thing for people. if they were just using it at their jobs for their default language, that would be great,
0: yeah. i for for a guy like me, I think my brain is a little uh, easily more easily adjusted to the flow of logic of object oriented programming. and And I imagine that has to do with you know not doing so very well in math and struggling with formulas and things because I, I see functional programming is very uh, a little bit more abstract um, yeah. it's do you, kind you see of that? Interesting,
2: yeah it's interesting how some people see it. Um, it there's there's this notion that functional programming is is kind of that's for math guys, or that's just based on mathematics. And maybe I'm just a regular dev. I can't handle functional programming. And it's really not like that. It's functional programming is just programming.
0: Yeah, I, mean, everybody's- I, I see that it's not all math, but but certainly in the way that functional uh, programs look and read and the logic flow tends to be a, a little too abstract for my brain to, to just grok when I see it, when I look at it. Yeah, I have yeah. to sort of follow the logic through it. Yeah.
2: And a lot of the times it depends on, on the style that a particular program is written in. I mean, you can, you can write pretty straightforward, more or less imperative style code in a functional language, mm. like say F sharp or, or Scala or whatever. Um, or you can write your code so that, it, you know, like Richard was talking about earlier, it's this mega complex, super elegant, three lines that does you know a million things and it's really hard to figure out what you actually wrote there you know, when you look <laughs> at it a month later it works don't touch it yeah
0: yeah um, Perl and c come to mind yeah
2: so it whether you're using a functional language or an imperative language or object oriented or, or whatever it really comes down to how did you write the code itself did you write it in a really easily understandable way that's super maintainable or did you try to take advantage of every abstract syntax feature and operator uh, so that it's quote unquote, you know, shorter or more concise, but then nobody has any idea how it works down the line. Right.
0: Okay. So now that we've got the, the object oriented people interested enough to keep listening, let's talk to the F-sharp people and tell them what they can expect in uh, F-sharp 4.
2: Yeah. So F-sharp 4 uh, came out with Visual Studio 2015. That was released just uh, a couple of months ago. And there's, there's a bunch of great stuff. Um, so F-sharp 4, let's see, from the, from the language feature standpoint, some of the big stuff that people are going to like, um, one of them is, is around the simplification of mutable values. So we talk about functional languages. Uh, a pure functional language, probably, um, it only lets you have immutable data. If you want to change something, you have to make a new copy of it with new values or you, you pass it to a function and it gives you back an updated value, something like that. You can't mutate values. F-sharp isn't a pure functional language. It's kind of hybrid. So you can actually declare mutable variables um, like mutable integers, loop counters, things like that. Um, there was a little bit of confusion because there's two ways to do that in F-sharp, uh, at least in older versions of F-sharp. You could use the syntax let mutable, which would create like a stack-based mutable, say, integer, and then you could update that, uh, increment it, decrement it, whatever. But uh, you couldn't do that all the time. Sometimes you had to use what's called a ref value. A ref value was always allocated on the heap, and you had to use that if your value was captured, say, by a closure, or if the value was being updated by another function somewhere else. Um, So for beginners... If you try to explain to them how to, how do you declare a mutable value in F sharp? There were these two different things, two different syntaxes. It was kind of confusing. In F sharp four, it's all, it's all unified. It's all simple. You can always use the let mutable syntax. Hmm. It's all unified and the compiler will just do the right thing for you behind the scenes. Okay. Uh, so that's something that a lot of people will like. It just simplifies things, especially for people coming up to speed with the language. And we know a lot of people are, you know, still coming from C Sharp. It's still a language a lot of people are looking to learn. Uh, another great feature that I like uh, in particular is uh, the use, the support of constructors as first class functions. Um, so in F Sharp, if you want to create a new instance of some .NET type. Uh, you know, in C sharp, you do something like var x equals new my class abc, and then you pass in some, some arguments, right? Uh, in F sharp, it's a similar syntax, but you actually don't need to use that new keyword if you don't want to. It's optional. So you can just say let x equal my class abc, and you pass in some, some arguments. Um, so my class abc, that's, that's the constructor that you're calling. It's, it's the type name. Um, you can actually in F Sharp if you wanted to use that as a function value by itself. Um, you used to need to wrap that in a lambda. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a confusing thing to say. I, I don't know if I've uh, if I've made that clear. Maybe you guys are already off off in the weeds now.
0: No, we already we know what lambdas are. But um, yeah. In a, in F Sharp, just let's just be clear. Go
2: ahead. So um, so basically, let's say. Uh, I wanted to pass a function value to another, to some other uh, API or some other function. And when it invokes that function, all all I wanted to do is invoke that constructor and pass back a new instance of this class, right? So in older versions of F sharp, uh, you would have to create a, a Lambda function that basically did nothing but pass its argument directly to that constructor so that it could return a new instance. Um, In F sharp four, it's been simplified and you can actually do something that's, that's more natural. You can just pass the constructor itself directly as a first class function value. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, instead of having to pass something like fun X goes to, you know, my class ABC, pass in X. Now you can just say my class ABC. And that is a first class function value, which takes a single argument and returns a new instance of my class ABC.
0: Yeah, that's that's very cool, and that um, that saves you a lot of time and and effort. And do you, do you still need a, a sort of an IOC container in in that uh, sense? So it's it's basically it's just one of the small
2: the small sources of boilerplate that still exists in F Sharp. Mm-hmm. F Sharp in general is pretty low on boilerplate, uh, but this is just one of those things where it was kind of like, well, why can't I just use this as a first class function? F-Sharp already supported um, .NET methods as first-class functions, but right. it was just constructors that were left out. You always had to wrap it in this little uh, lambda, and now that's kind of ironed out. Okay. Uh, so it's just a matter of, of cleanliness and kind of elegance there. All right. Um, so that's a couple couple of the language features. Um, there's some cool, um, cool additions to F-Sharp type providers. Have you guys heard about type providers at oh, all? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, we... Uh... Yeah, this dot world.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah, we did a whole so, show on type providers for a while back with Rachel Reese, and that was very much in the in the F-sharp three time frame, and but I've f- got to think
0: good things at, were added to it in four. Well, and the first time we heard about it was with Don Syme. Yeah, with Don himself. Yeah. yeah. Who was the man? And I remember ask, asking him, so is C sharp going to get type providers anytime soon? And he goes, no, <laughs> that's ours. You got to come over to the dark side.
2: That's still the ways out for the C sharp team. Yeah. Yeah. Type providers are pretty cool. Um, if anyone who's listening isn't real familiar, just the, the real quick, uh, summary of type providers is that it, Type providers are a library that the the compiler calls into at compile time. And that library can return back sort of arbitrary types that are based on compile time information. So maybe in your code, you provide a connection string to a database, the type provider will be passed that connection string. And then the type provider can go talk to the database, figure out all the tables and return back types that represent those tables kind of like an ORM. But it's all done at compile time. It's not like a a pre-compile code gen tool, nothing like that. It, it all happens in line during the compile. So it's a really powerful mechanism. Um, in F sharp four, uh, some of the, some of the capabilities of that have been filled out. Uh, so in the past, the only way you could get information into a type provider, uh, at compile time was at the type declaration level. So you would declare a type which is equal to um, something that a type provider would pass back. Uh, the compiler would call into the type provider with some static parameters. It would return back a type, and then you could go party on that type with methods and properties and all that. Um, in sharp 4, it's been extended so that you can actually now pass in compile time information to individual provided methods. Um, so this is pretty cool. If for no other reason that it it kind of simplifies the way you can use type providers, instead of having to declare a type, uh, get an instance of that type, and then start calling methods on it or, or accessing properties. Now you can actually, for example, you could declare a provided static method, it gets um, compile time parameters, and boom, it's like one line, you've got kind of the magic of type providers, it, wow. it reduces some of the ceremony that you needed to do. And it just extends the type provider mechanism uh, even further. And so it, it
0: wasn't very much ceremony to begin with.
2: <laughs> well, we're always looking to reduce it to you know absolute zero.
1: Yeah, 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 no kidding. Fantastic.
2: Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. A um, couple other quick ones. Uh, let's see. Well, let me talk about uh, something that actually sort of everyday F-sharp devs are going to love. Um, so when you're writing F-sharp code, you're, you're always going to be referencing the F-Sharp runtime, the f That's where kind of the, the core types that every F-Sharp developer is using, that's where they're defined. Things like linked lists, um, the, the mailbox processor, if you're using that, a lot of standard types, option types, for example. So if you were doing um, collection processing in F-Sharp, if you were working with uh, the three standard collection types, uh, arrays, lists, or sequences, there's a pretty extensive library of collection processing APIs in the F-Sharp runtime, very similar to uh, to the link APIs, but sort of a more functional style. One of the things that was kind of irregular about that is that between arrays, sequences, and lists, the set of APIs that you had to work with wasn't consistent. So if you were working with an array and you wanted to take some uh, operation on it, say like take all the distinct elements of it, there wasn't an API array.distinct. There was an API sequence.distinct. So what you had to do was convert your array into an IEnumerable, into a sequence. Then you do the distinct operation on that sequence, and then you had to convert it back to an array. So it wasn't great for performance. It wasn't very discoverable. And it was just kind of awkward. In F-Sharp 4, um, arrays, lists, and sequences have all been totally normalized. So all the APIs that are available for, for arrays are available for lists, are available for sequence. Um, so there's no more having to convert types. It's super discoverable. It's just really consistent and normalized. It's really great.
1: Awesome. Yeah, the, I'm looking at the change log from the GitHub repository and looking at the, you know, sort of treatment of the lists, arrays and sequence, uh, sequential modules all together and how they're, they're sort of being treated symmetrically, except where I guess it just doesn't make sense. And, and it gives you a sense of just how many new features have been added into, but I guess you have to understand all these features. And I don't know that I do. Can we talk through like the try stack? Cause the, this it's very interesting, but I don't know that I got my head around it.
2: Uh, which API were you looking at? Try, so like
1: try find, try and ba- find back, try item, try last.
2: Yeah. So the naming, sometimes people get tripped up by the naming. Yeah. Uh, so something like try find, that's basically, um, that's actually, that caters to the pure functional kind of people. Yeah. Uh, so so let's say you have an array, array of integers, and you say, you know, try find. Uh, You want to find the first even integer. Um, Now it's possible that there are no even integers in that array. Um, So in a in a classic .NET model, the right way to to code that up is to throw an exception, like Mm -hmm. element not found exception, invalid operation exception, something like that, right? Um, In a pure functional model, that's that's not the best way to go. What you really want is for every input to this API, this find API. Every input returns a valid output. So these these APIs in sharp that are labeled try find or try head or try item, whatever, mm-hmm. what they do is basically they, they attempt to do what you ask for. And if they can't, if the thing you're looking for doesn't exist or the, the list isn't long enough, something like that, um, they'll return a none value. So all of these things return an F sharp option type, not a null value. Mm. Not a null. It's a sum. Sum versus none. Sum s o m e, not s u m. Yep. So if if the API succeeds, if it finds that even integer, it will return sum and then the value. If it didn't find any, it returns none instead of throwing uh, instead of throwing an exception.
0: Object not found. Right. And <laughs> yeah, we have talked about this before in the problems with nulls. And I believe it was, um, uh, um, Mark Seaman, wasn't it? Uh, absolutely.
1: When we were talking about simplifying language yep, and all of this game around nulls. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So in, in the F sharp runtime, um, basically we give you both options a lot of the time. Uh, so a lot of APIs like find is a great example. We give you both find and try find. So if you're, if you want more of that .NET model where you expect an exception to come back, um, then you can use Find, and that will indeed throw an exception if it can't uh, if it can't find the thing you're looking for. But if you want to go more of a, a pure functional style, you can use these Try APIs. And I think uh, we've done our best that any API that that can fail just based on the contract of what it's doing, if it's possible that it can't succeed in what it's doing. Uh, there's also a try version of that same API available.
1: Okay, so these these tries aren't related to each other, and it's just a concept of these are things you that might have a return of none. Exactly. Okay, that, and that makes a lot of sense. And, it, and you know, I'm now I'm digging through the code pieces of this and looking at it, and going, you know, this is we keep talking about how terse F Sharp is, but match with try find th- this is really coherent code. Oh yeah, there's a bit no, of piping you... and things, but that's not a big deal. Yeah,
2: I mean, you look through you look through F sharp code that's doing this, and it's super clear exactly what's happening. You do try right. find something, you match that with some and the value, and then you go party with that value, or you get none. You know, it's really clear exactly what happened in each case, and it's it's pretty readable.
1: And I like <laughs> the way in the sample they're doing is even as x equals x percent two equals zero. So right. you basically declared a an operator as is even as a let statement.
2: Yeah. You can declare functions and operators just super easy in F sharp. There's very little boilerplate or ceremony around it. And you can just do it all inline. Right. You know, in C Sharp, you have to have a class for everything. It's like, I yeah, just, you I right. could have, have a,
1: embedded this as, you either would have embedded this as inline code and people have to read the code over and over again. And maybe it's sometimes wrong. You could have created it as a, as a library function. It's somewhere else entirely, but no, nah, it's right in line. There it is. Here's my operator. Now use it for clarity's sake. Exactly.
2: Yeah. One of the, the features of F Sharp that I really like, uh, a lot of people like this is uh, you can define functions anywhere within another function, within a type, like anything like that. Right. You know, in C-sharp, you you start writing some code and you think to yourself, you know, this should really be encapsulated in a method. This is kind of a little bit complex. I should give it a name, all this stuff. Um, But you're forced to then, you know, if you're being good, you go declare that as like a private member on your class. And that might be way down at the bottom of your file. It's kind of at the same level as the real methods and the real members of your class. Well, you can sort of use lambdas too, right? You can kind of use lambdas, but you don't get a name for those. It, right. It's just a
1: little bit awkward at best. In mm-hmm. F-sharp, you want a function, just declare a function. Do it. Yeah. Do it and do it right then and there. The real question yeah. is, would you eventually refactor this? Would you extract it out and put it somewhere else? as it got more complicated? or you want it consistent or utilize more place? Does, does scope matter in that scenario? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it depends case by case, of course.
2: But yeah, sure. if you see that you're writing a lot of these little helper functions in line and they're all kind of related, then you probably pull those out, toss them into an F-sharp module, which is similar to to like a C-sharp static class, right. like a, a static class of helpers in C-sharp. Um, y- you might want to pull them all out, put them into a module, but that really, it depends on the situation.
0: Sure. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time
1: it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep.
0: Time for a riddle. Oh, a riddle. Richard. Yes. Why is D-sharp and not C-sharp considered the son of F-sharp? Why? Because D-sharp is the relative minor. Oh, no. Music humor. Music humor. <laughs> D-sharp is the relative minor key of F-sharp major. That's what a relative minor, yes. Dun, no, dun, 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 dun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of music, it's time to give away a music decode by a uh, video and audio collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Music to Code By is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized quiet and groovy instrumentals specifically designed to promote focus. It will get you into a state of flow and keep you there, even if you're doing homework or just trying to relax. .NET Rock's fans are being more productive with Music to Code By. See what all this fuss is about. Go to mtcb.pwap.com. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Max
1: Shapiro. I heard those clappas. Yeah, right, this is Matt. Golf club for you. Sir. A round
0: of applause. <laughs> a slap of the clappers. Slap of the clappers. For Max Shapiro, he just won that uh, Music to Code by collection. If you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, Click on the big Get Free Stuff button. Answer a few questions and join the .netrocks Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a technology shopping spree valued at $5,000 to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club coming up here in a couple of months. And uh, we also like to ask our guests, if you had uh, $5,000 to spend on technology today, Lincoln, what would you buy?
2: Oh, man. Um, let's see. I am actually in the market for a new laptop, I ah. guess. Ah. Anybody, any Can or- I interest
1: you in a Surface Book?
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was just looking at some of those announcements. I want all the toys. Yeah. All of those. For five grand, you could get yourself a loaded book and a Pro 4. Yeah, that's, that's right.
0: And a band and all that
2: stuff. Yeah, yeah and a band. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, or what? They announced the, um the, holo, not the, the uh, HoloLens. The HoloLens, yeah, the HoloLens Def-
0: Developer Edition for $3,000. There you go.
2: I could use up my whole budget just on that.
1: Yeah, well, that's most of it, and and well, a fully loaded book is over three grand too. Yeah, just about. Yeah, if you get the so, you get the 512 gig and the i7 and the GPU, it gets up there. Yeah.
2: So I'd probably load up a, a nice new laptop, and then I'm actually I'd love to try out all the the smart home stuff. You know, the home automation, that kind of thing. I'd love yeah. to just sort of go full bore on that at, at my place, uh, see how that works out.
1: It's one of the geek outs on the list. I think it's number one right now is a smart homes geek out. Hey,
0: Lincoln, yeah. there's some changes in the garbage collection configuration in this version of F sharp that claim to increase performance. Can you speak to that?
2: Yeah. So so in the CLR, um, the garbage collector, it's taking care of all of the cleaning up all your memory allocations, re- reclaiming all the memory you're not using when you're done with it, all that Um there are various knobs on it that the the framework or the CLR exposes that let you tweak how it performs. So, in some situations, you want your app to be really responsive. What matters to you is that you know if the user clicks the the UI or interacts with with your app, it needs to respond really quickly, within milliseconds, to give that that fast and responsive feel. Um, other apps, it doesn't matter so much that. It can respond quickly to input or interaction. What matters is just pure throughput. Yeah. So something like a compiler, once you, once you fire off the compiler, there's nothing, there's no interaction with the user, right? Mm -hmm. We'd really just like it to finish, do its job, create your, your executable as fast as it can. So in F sharp four, we tweaked some of these knobs and we basically, we pushed the turbo button on the GC. Mm-hmm. And and just said, hey, nobody's going to interact with this. Just go ahead and do like reclamation patterns, do GC patterns mm-hmm. that might hurt the responsiveness of the app, but it increases the overall, like the pure throughput. And that's fine because no one's going to be interacting with the compiler anyways.
0: So it's batch mode. Basically, just lock it up and do what you need to do and then get back to me as soon as you can instead of this low latency thread. Yeah. It's
2: basically telling it, hey, it's okay um, to use up more memory all at once and then have long pauses where you have to reclaim all of it if that's going to make the thing
0: faster overall. Okay. And you think that is more applicable to the kinds of applications people write in F Sharp? So it's not for the apps that
2: they're actually writing. It's just the setting. Just for the compiling. For the compiler itself, yeah. So okay. if, when you kick off a compile, it's now going to be you know a little bit faster, maybe five ten percent faster
0: in the best case. Uh, so the performance is in the compiling, not in the actual running of your app.
2: Correct. Yeah. And the F Sharp compiler. Anyone who's done a little bit of F Sharp coding realizes that the F Sharp compiler is actually a bit slow.
1: I see. Interesting.
2: Yeah, so that's something that people should welcome. It, it just makes it a little bit snappier. Each release, the team is, has tried to chip away and make the compiler a bit faster.
0: Yeah, and I, and I noticed that just in the realm of performance in the language, there are some faster things. Some things have been tweaked, right? Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, so in F-Sharp, um, the, the comparison semantics are usually... They're a bit more involved than what you get by default in C-sharp. So F-sharp kind of gives you a lot of comparison and hashing and equality stuff for free. The compiler generates it for you. Yeah. Um, and by default, when you compare things or if you check things are equal, it goes through sort of a, a full-blown generic structural comparison uh, routine. And that's super convenient. And it gives you kind of that correct behavior that you would expect to just work. Like out of the box. It's just automatic. So again, you're not writing your own equalities operator. You're not writing your own get hash code all the time. Um, the compiler does it for you. It's really convenient. Sometimes it's not super fast though. So if you're trying to write more performant code in Fsharp, a lot of the time you'll be uh, implementing .equals .get hash code yourself. You'll have to tweak that uh, manually. In sharp 4 we have made some tweaks so that the compiler generated stuff is faster, and so when you're doing the generic comparison or the structural comparison, just the default stuff, that that will actually run uh, faster than it used to.
0: Okay. And is that the only place where there's been some improvements in performance, the comparisons, or are there there other things as well?
2: Um, There's also been updates to, um, to some of the comparison operators. So I mentioned that by default you get this structural comparison, Uh, In addition to making some of that faster just on its own, we also introduce a brand new set of non-structural comparison operators. So you can now open uh, the F-sharp module non-structural comparison. You just say open non-structural comparison. And now all the operators that are in scope will actually do more of a C-sharp style uh, sort of classic .NET style comparison. So you'll have to go and implement your own operators. You'll have to implement your own equals, get hash code, some of that more often. Uh, But the performance is going to be a lot better, especially on value types. Uh, So if you're doing really performance critical F-sharp code and you really want to wring out the the last bits of perf there, you might want to look at the non-structural comparison stuff that's new in F-sharp 4. Okay,
0: cool. I noticed that uh, high-dimensional arrays are now supported. I guess the framework supports up to 32-dimensional arrays. But F-Sharp yeah. 3 and before only used rank 4, went up to rank 4? Yeah.
2: That's right. So the .NET framework, um, they they allow you to create high-dimensional arrays right, up to rank 32. The really high-dimensional stuff isn't used a ton as far as I know. Um, F-Sharp has pretty good support for... Uh, it, in the past, it had really good support for 1 through 4, rank 1 through 4 arrays, um, and it it sort of fell off a cliff right there. There was just no support at all for the really high rank stuff. If you were even referencing, say, a C-sharp library that used these, the compiler would have trouble uh even just referencing that. So in F-sharp 4, um, this was actually an, an open source contribution from a guy named uh, Jack uh, Pappas. He updated the compiler so that it now at least understands these high rank arrays. We still don't give you a lot of syntax support for it, uh, but at least the compiler understands it, and you can just work with any C sharp library that uses them.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of in you know in my experience, I'm trying to think of a situation where I would need a multi dimensional array that high. But uh, I'm sure they yeah. do exist there in the scientific world.
2: Yeah, it's like when are you going to use a rank nine array? It's
1: it's yeah. pretty.
0: Rare. Now you're just showing off. Exactly. yeah uh, um, there are probably other structures that are better for hierarchies than that yeah yeah it's a, it gets really weird um
1: I see there's a new await task maybe we should just talk about all of the async await oh, yeah. async stuff that's in f sharp because there's a ton yeah so
2: so c-sharp has async await and that was a big feature in the last release I forget exactly what in uh, four. yeah. C sharp four. Yep. Yeah. So that's really cool. Um, and I don't know. F sharp did it first. What can I say?
1: <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, not going to disagree with you. No. I mean, I'm not.
2: Yeah. I'm just, well,
1: it's just telling it how it is. Um, well, just just the F- and F-sharp. the functional approach just lends itself with immutability to parallelism so much better. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, when, when you're writing functional style F sharp code, Yeah, it's much easier to parallelize in the first place. And so when you're doing these async operations, you're going to worry less about data races and stuff like that. Because if you just use the default immutable data, like you don't have to worry about it in the first place.
1: So is there anything special with await task of T? It's just like, it seems like, well, I guess we have to define what's a task in F sharp.
2: So the task, it's the the standard system.threading.tasks.task, right? Yeah right so this this goes back to a little bit of implementation details between f sharp async and c sharp async right so c sharp async a lot of listeners are probably going to be pretty familiar with that's all based on uh, system.threading.tasks right mm-hmm. so f sharp async uh, was developed back in the net 2.0 days before system.threading.tasks even existed so f sharp async is kind of a bespoke, totally like home rolled uh async implementation that doesn't rely on tasks. So if you want to interoperate between F sharp async code and C sharp async code, uh you have to kind of convert between the two. So oh. in F sharp four, when you see uh we've added some APIs for converting, um it's like from task, that's basically us converting from a system.threading.task dot dot task into the F-sharp model, uh, oh, okay. you know, vice versa.
1: Well, this is really cool. And I think it calls back to Neil Danson's comment at the top of the show about, you know, use the language you want, they'll all interoperate well with each other. This means that the uh, await behavior between C-sharp and F-sharp can be interchangeable.
2: Yeah, that's right. And there, you can pass, you can convert between F-sharp basing, C-sharp basing, Mm-hmm. Uh, and just across the board, we're always trying to, to make interoperability between the languages or any other .NET language, VB or, or whatever. We're trying to improve that however we
1: can. Well, and how do you fall on that whole mindset? Are there things you'd prefer to do in F-sharp and things you prefer to do in C-sharp? Or do you rather have like one language to rule them all? Um,
2: well, I'll, that's sort of a, a politically sensitive thing to mm-hmm. talk of course. about. Um, I, think, I think polyglot's good Different people have, they've come up and they've learned how to program in different styles, different methodologies, different languages. People should use what they're comfortable with, what they're yeah. most productive with. And, sure. you know, in, in my view, I think F sharp is a really productive language. It, it gives you the tools to do things in a really elegant, concise, safe, correct way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've, I've put in that brain power to try to, to try to understand that model and it's, you know, paying off for me now because I understand it. Other people are really comfortable with C sharp, and they should use that if they want to. I think it it'll benefit you even if you're a C sharp dev. If you go learn F sharp, you're going to be a better C sharp dev than right. you were before.
0: And you know um, what? Everybody we interview um, in the F sharp space says the same thing.
2: So. Yeah, I mean, I'm. There's kind of. A, there's kind of like a cult of functional programming where, you know, if you're a functional programmer, you have to talk a lot of trash about everything else. <laughs> uh, and, it's true of every know, language, really. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of fun. And it, it's always good to see the benefits and the, the pros and cons of different approaches. But I don't know I, that I,
1: it's healthy, should, but at least it's entertaining.
2: <laughs> it's very entertaining. Um, I think people should use what they're comfortable with and what they're productive with. And yeah, I think sure. F-Sharp is, if you put in the time to to really understand the paradigm, I think it can be one of the most productive languages out there.
0: And great. can we talk about the improvements in Visual Studio?
2: Absolutely. Um, yeah, F-Sharp, everybody really loves the language. That, I mean, people say nothing but great things about the F-Sharp language. One of the places where we still do... We're still trying to catch up a little bit is in the IDE tools. C Sharp has such amazing, like world class, uh, refactorings, IDE support, especially if you add, you know, resharper on top. It, it's mind boggling, like how cool all the IDE tools are. So F Sharp, it's stiff competition within .NET languages. Uh, but F Sharp does pretty well in F Sharp four. Uh, we have improved on the F Sharp tools, just general bug fixes across the board. Uh, one of the biggest new features that got added, uh, is the ability to use the Visual Studio debugger, uh, to debug F sharp scripts. Uh, so have, have you guys, do you realize that you can, you can run F sharp code, uh, in an interactive REPL, like line by line in Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the C sharp model, I don't know if, if you guys are like me, but when I do C sharp coding or if I'm just doing general stuff on my machine, I'll, I'll create, you know, a dozen throwaway console apps. Sure, sure. uh, In C Sharp, because I just wanted to test that one API or try this one thing. Um, so in F Sharp, you've got an interactive REPL, so you can write your code and just, uh, and compile and run it line by line, just on demand. It's super productive. It's really lightweight. Uh, people love using F Sharp interactive.
0: You can do some of that. And you can do some of that in the immediate window, but you can't create functions and things like that. So. You can, but you can uh, create objects and and call them and use them and get the results back. But you know, not you know, nothing like a REPL. Almost yeah. like the, a REPL, but not quite.
2: In the immediate window, you need to be debugging to be using that. Anyway, uh, that's not true. Oh, you can you that's that's true. I guess you can use it uh, offline too. Mm-hmm. Um, so in F Sharp four in the Visual F Sharp tools, um, we've now integrated the Visual Studio debugger with F sharp scripts. So now instead of just running the code and maybe you have to debug it in the past, you have to just put in logging statements or something like that. Uh, you can now actually hook the debugger up to your script directly and run the interactive uh the interactive code execution through the debugger and you can step through, set breakpoints, all that stuff. So you get the productivity of the REPL-based workflow. And then also the tooling support of the VS debugger, so it, it really makes that whole REPL experience uh, pop a little bit. Very cool. Yeah. Um, another thing we we fixed up in in the F Sharp for Visual Studio tools, um, we added we beefed up the project templates a little bit. So when you create a new C Sharp template, you've always had that um, AssemblyInfo.cs it's yep. got all those assembly level attributes, product, uh, company, whatever version. Uh so we've added that to to the F# templates. We didn't have that in the past, so now you get an assemblyinfo.fs with similar stuff. so That's nice. Um the the project uh, when you build projects, the up to date check for F# projects now works. Uh if you have a big solution with, you know, 10 projects in C#, when you when you compile that stuff, uh you'll probably notice that it might say you know, three succeeded, two up to date, something like that, right? And then you compile it again. Yeah. It'll say five up to date. Uh, in F sharp, we never, we never hooked into that up to date API in visual studio. We finally locked that yeah. in. So now F sharp projects will say they're up to date or succeeded or failed, uh, the way you would expect, the way they should.
0: Very good. Yeah. Uh, is there anything? On your F-Sharp wish list that still has yet to be implemented?
2: Oh, absolutely. There's plenty of stuff. Um, Let's see. So a lot of it is, I think, you talk to most F-Sharp devs, they would love to see the Visual Studio tools get even better. Um, There's definitely plenty of room for that to improve, just having uh, better refactoring support, Mm -hmm. uh, better better tooling support in general. Uh, Out of the box, the Visual F-Sharp tools don't even support folders in the project system. Oh. Uh, you, you just have to list all of your code top to bottom just in one file. Um, a lot of that is actually handled by this extension called the Visual F-Sharp Power Tools. Uh, I'm not sure if listeners are familiar with that, uh, but that's that's a community-authored extension for Visual Studio. It works for VS 2015, 2013. Um, that gives you a ton of the really great refactorings you're used to from C sharp, it brings them into F sharp. Uh you can kind of think of the F sharp power tools. It's kind of like the resharper of F sharp. Okay. Uh, it really like supercharges what Visual Studio gives you. Um and those guys, it's an open source project, totally community run. Um and those everybody guys have done uses a great it. job. Everybody uses it. All the if you're doing any serious F sharp development, you've probably got that installed. Okay. Uh so it would be awesome. To, to take some of those features and get them really integrated in the box uh, with F-Sharp. And going forward, the teams are kind of trying to figure out how that works. Uh, there are some some roadblocks for that, but I think, I think it'll happen uh, eventually.
0: That's cool. Yeah, great. Is there anything
2: we left out? I don't know. I think we've touched on a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot <laughs> it's of, a long it's list. A, it is a long list. We've done a lot of things. A lot of it's just small nips and tucks that that people might not even realize were fixed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that it just works, you know, they're not going to notice that actively, but they'll notice, you know, they won't have a failed build or something. They'll just it'll just work.
0: Right. Yeah. Well Lincoln, thanks a lot. This has been great. And I'm sure the F sharp world is looking forward to diving in.
2: Absolutely. We it was it was great working with the community to help build this. It's a it's a total community effort. It's all open source and a lot of this was done Totally outside of Microsoft, you know, we we helped facilitate and review, and a lot of it is, is built just by F Sharp developers out there.
1: Yeah, we did this show a while ago with Martin Range, talking about him, his experience contributing to the the uh, F Sharp library. It, it there's not that many contributors. How many third parties did you or you know non Microsoft contributors were there in your mind? Well,
2: if you if you look at all the commits and you just list out all of the unique. People who have contributed, you know, at least one thing. Right. Um, within Microsoft, the, the non-Microsoft contributors actually far outnumber the Microsoft contributors. Wow.
1: Yeah, number-wise, definitely. Wow. I mean, yeah. Don Syme comes in third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... But, I mean, the biggest contributors are Microsoft people, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But uh, so it's, it, it, it definitely, there is quite a list of, of contributions. And I almost wonder if some of them aren't just... I just want to be part of this too. Nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that, Mm -hmm. but uh, it is a lots of one commits. Yeah, I think the total
2: number of committers is somewhere in the forties now. Yeah, forty-three. Yeah, Uh, and that's today
0: anyway. I'm sure the the ball will move. Yeah. Well, we have nothing but respect for you guys. You guys are amazing, and uh, thanks again for doing such great work. Well, thanks so much. All right, we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks.